Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 28, Who's on the Lord's Side? Who? Well, this past weekend, college football began, and I don't know what it's like where you live, but here in Utah, college teams and your loyalties to them, it's a big deal, and it's an exciting time of year as we all reconnect with those teams that we love to root for. We pledge our loyalties by following the players and learning their names and their positions and their stats and even dressing in the team colors. And passionately, we coach from the sidelines. I mean, we are given instructions on what the next play should be or how wrong they did that play that they just completed. We feel wiser and more capable than the referees on the field. And some of us like to even root for the underdog because we want to see the stronger, more glitzier team humbled a bit. And basically, we feel like we have buy-in to every win that the team has because they followed our instructions or were devastated by their loss. And it's an exciting and an invigorating time of year, and it is exactly what we're in need of after the long days of summer. But there is another event that also has teams, and it includes every one of God's children. For whoso belongeth not to one belongeth to the other. There are no sidelines in this game. In Nephi's vision detailed in chapter 13 and 14, we learn that there are only two teams or churches that we can belong to. Either you can belong to the church of the Lamb of God, or you can belong to the great and abominable church, otherwise known as the church of the devil. It's the saints of God versus the servants of Satan. And it is a wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. And assuming that we all desire to play for the saints of God, let's begin by being introduced to our opponent. Nephi's vision clearly and repetitively informs us that the founder of the great and abominable church is the devil. And their team jerseys are amazing. I mean, because they like gold and silver and silks and scarlets, fine twined linen and all manner of precious clothing, because these are the desires of their hearts. And when Nephi refers to this team, he calls them the whore of all the earth. And though I don't know exactly what he means by this term, it does paint an image in my mind that the members of this church or this team value carnality and sensuality, degrading what is beautiful and holy and coloring it with shame and distortion. This description of Nephi's tells me that this team lacks self-discipline and self-control and instead are motivated by gratification and immediate pleasure. And since these are sensations that they seek after, They willingly debase themselves or degrade their moral compass by accepting ever-changing rules and always a lowering of their moral standards and conduct. But don't be deceived. 
Those motivated by such things can be tenacious, undercutting, and aggressive as they seek to satisfy their urges and obtain their results. And members of this team can be found everywhere. Their numbers are great, and they have dominion or control over all of the earth. And the hoops and the hollerings from their side can be intense because they desire to destroy the saints of God and bring them down into captivity. Captivity of your soul and mine is the name of their game. And how do they do this? In Nephi, he says, They slayeth the saints of God, yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. And if that feels too drastic for you or too over the top, let me describe it in perhaps terms that we may better relate to. It is their strategy to lead the saints of God away from their safe zone and to pull them over into their territory. And how do they do this? In Doctrine and Covenants, it tells us they do it through flattery. Now, flattery is an excessive and an insincere praise given by individuals to further their interests. And flattery, when we receive it, puffs us up, giving us a false sense of confidence and affecting our sense of what's appropriate. And it can cause us to take harmful risks, or at the very least, become less diligent. Flattery can also puff us up when we are flattered by others as they compliment us for our intellect and our opinions. We may believe that we see more clearly, more compassionately, with more discernment than the gospel of Jesus Christ offers. And our passions as they flare may be appreciated by others and used as a benefit to move their interests forward. And though our intentions may not be to harm others before we know it, flattery has moved us by degrees off course. And therefore, continuing on with the verse from Doctrine and Covenants, he causeth them to catch themselves in their own snare. In Moses chapter 4, the devil is named the father of lies, for he deceives and blinds men. Perhaps he deceives us in thinking that there is still time left to repent, and so we procrastinate it and we linger longer than we ought to in the pleasures of the world and the allurements of ease that the world offers. But when we do that, consider we're sealing ourselves to him, for the Spirit of the Lord, it withdraws from us and has no room within us. So it is no longer the Spirit of the Lord's power that is sustaining and sanctifying our efforts. It is the devil, or so that is what the prophet Alma teaches us. So Nephi refers to a pit. It's a pit that the devil has dug for the destruction of man. Did you catch that? For man. Not just for the saints of God, but for man. There is no group of people safe from this pit. The devil feels no loyalty towards even his own members of his church or his team. But this shouldn't surprise us. Because for where there is an ever-changing standard, there is no truth, no safety, and no sure footing. And when we play for a team where there is no truth, how can we be sure of the rules in which we play by? Or how can we be sure of our worth to our captain? To he who holds nothing but his power in esteem, we are all pawns to be used by him, to be used and abused according to his needs. But 
no fear. Joseph Smith testified that the devil has no power over us, only as we permit him. What good news! We can choose to be, to become, or return once more, whichever circumstance you find yourself in, to the Lord's side. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? Now is the time to show. Though their numbers may be few, those who are on his side have chosen to listen to him. Are you? They hearken unto him in that day that he will manifest himself unto them. And how does the captain of the saints of God show up for them? He'll manifest himself in word. Revelation that restores plain and precious truths to his team. He'll manifest himself in power through spiritual manifestations of his spirit that will nurture them and strengthen them in their righteousness. And he will show up to them indeed, or by his actions. And these actions are his miracles of taking away their stumbling blocks. And how does he do this? It's one of those plain and precious truths that the Book of Mormon restored to us. The truth that the reason why we have weakness is so that we may humble ourselves and utilize his grace or his enabling power. He fortifies his team by promising the saints of God that if we humble ourselves before him and have faith in him, then will he make weak things become strong unto him. Where the devil degrades his followers, the Lord elevates his Where the devil plans to ensnare all, the Lord desires to empower all who choose to hearken unto him and not harden their hearts against him. And those who do so are numbered among the house of Israel. They become inheritors of the blessings belonging to Abraham through the covenant that God made with him. This is another way in which the Lord removes stumbling blocks from his players. He will curse those that curse them. He will bless those that bless us. He will draw us close to him through the covenant of salvation when we are baptized. He will empower us with the higher priesthood and he will prepare us for eternal life, God's life, his life, through the covenant of exaltation as we enter into celestial marriage. And this qualifies us for eternal increase always becoming more than we were yesterday and sanctifying every effort that we take and every sacrifice we make during our process and significant to every saint of God the promise that all of these blessings will also be offered to our posterity. The covenants that bind the saints to their God empower them so much so that they will no longer be brought down into captivity and they will no longer be confounded. So what do their jerseys look like? Well, Paul, in his epistle to the Ephesians, gives us an answer. Where the great and abominable church glories in their gold and their precious clothing, the saints of God are instructed to put on the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. Our captain also empowers us with prayer. Prayer becomes our lifeline. And the saints of God are instructed to pray always that you may come off conqueror, yea, that you may conquer Satan, and that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan that do uphold his work. And we are also empowered with love, not for ourselves, as the devil would promote and whisper in the ears of his servants, but love of Christ. This love, when tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword come upon us, we will be conquerors through him that loved us. Our love for Christ and his love for us will seal us to him. And neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And with this preparation and protection and power, the saints of God move on to the field and the offensive plays begin. A great and a marvelous work will be worked among the children of men by the Lord Jesus Christ, yet again removing more stumbling blocks. Great because of its significance, marvelous because of the incomprehensible love he has for us. And this work will be everlasting. And Nephi sees records like the Book of Mormon and other scriptures that we have brought forth, convincing Gentiles and the remnant of Nephi's brethren seed, and also the Jews who are scattered upon all the earth. They become convinced that the records of the prophets and the twelve apostles of the Lamb are true. They will repent and then they too will become empowered by the covenants of God. The marvelous work of the Lord will be to gather and to recover his people. And the saints will go forth, empowered by the Lamb of God, upon all the face of the earth, giving opportunity for every man to hear in his own tongue and in his own language the fullness of the gospel. And though the great and abominable church does have dominion, over much of the earth, the great and marvelous work, or in other words, the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church will either convince all players to peace and life eternal, or it will deliver them into captivity and destruction. The stakes of this event are high. And despite the ramifications, the great and abominable church will gather together their multitudes upon the face of the earth to fight against the Lamb of God. And that should cause you pause. Though the attacks of the adversary feel personal, and when we heed them, they do become personal. But it is not us that he fights against. It is the Lamb of God his attributes, his commandments, his power, his authority, his gospel, his name. And when we have that perspective, perhaps any speck of blindness that is left in our eyes will begin to clear and we'll see the divinity that the devil is seeking to destroy. It is an affirmation of the mercy of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How this event is even permitted to take place. For it is a testimony of his mercy that we are even given the ability to choose anything other than him. It is a witness of his mercy that we can repent 
when we stray to the other team and that he will show us compassion and forgiveness even when it's within his power to punish or harm us. But Nephi assures us that when God determines enough is enough, the wrath of God will be poured out upon the great and abominable church. His final offensive plays will be carried out, insomuch that there will be wars and rumors of wars among all the nations and kindreds of the earth. For Mark captured in his writings that Jesus counseled, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Nephi promises that the servants of the devil shall war among themselves, and the sword of their own hands shall fall upon their own heads, and they shall be drunken with their own blood. And as horrific as this sounds and will be to witness, remember what the Lamb of God will do for his saints. He will arm us with righteousness, a deliverance and a divine protection. And he will arm us with the power of God in great glory. And if you wonder what that is, look at the footnotes for that scripture. It is receiving the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. It is being lifted up at the last day because we endured unto the end. It is having residence in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And it is becoming beautiful upon the mountains because we chose to publish peace and tidings of great joy. And remember that pit? The pit which the servants of the devil dug so happily, so cunningly, and with great hope for filling up with you and with me. It will be filled, but it will be filled with those who dug it. Unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God. Nephi received this vision over 2,500 years ago. And as Jeffrey R. Holland once said, The future of this world has long been declared. The final outcome between good and evil is already known. There is absolutely no question as to who wins because the victory has already been posted on the scoreboard. The only really strange thing in all of this is that we are still down on the field trying to decide which team's jerseys we want to wear. Sister Scriptorians, who's on the Lord's side? Who? Now is the time to show. Do what it takes to suit up with the armor of God. Pray. Pray like you never have before. And love Him. Seek to be worthy of His power given to you by the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then endure. 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 Have a good day.